Congratulations, you made it to the exfil. You can relax, unpack your bags, close the uninstaller window, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along for that ride as well. This week we're going to spend about two hours talking about the find and raid changes. Just kidding. We're not going to do that to you again. But (laughs) we've both been able to dig into this wipe a lot more. And we're super excited to speak about some of the struggles that we've worked through. Now we're not just struggling, we've worked through some of those. And we've got some awesome wins and tips for you all as well. But while we're on that subject, I did want to promote something. So the one heart who was our guest on the last episode, actually did a ton of research and did all kinds of work to bring some tips and tricks to you guys that we were going to talk about a lot of them. But as you know, we went off on a tangent that, again, it sort of went all over the place. And we've had more feedback than we've had on any other episode from all different kinds of camps. And honestly, it's great. We encourage the feedback. It doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with us. We haven't had a single disrespectful comment come in yet. We've had people that vehemently disagree with us. But at the end of the day, we've been able to have really good conversations about it. And that's really all we care about. So thank you for that. Even those of you that disagree completely on the other end of Ronald or the One Heart or my sort of not talkiness last week, it doesn't really matter. It was great. We've had some phenomenal conversations. I had some great conversations on stream this week. Anyway, Kev put a ton of work into an article that is now posted in a blog on xpmedianow.com. It's in the blog, and it is a very detailed early wipe guide with five or six things in full detail that I think everybody needs to look at. And there is one that I'm going to talk about, a little teaser for later, that completely has changed the way I think about looting in-game. And it is awesome. So go check that out. It's the latest blog, xpmedianow.com. Let's get our hideout keeping out of the way so we can get into this. As always, there are a number of ways to support the show. The best, the most important, the one that all of you guys do is when you've got a friend or someone brand new to Tarkov, share the podcast with them. Let them know what we do. Invite them to the Xville Discord community. There's hundreds of messages in there today that I haven't been able to get to yet. And it's just super exciting to me every single day going in there and seeing the activity. So let a friend know. Other things you can do, like, comment, rate, star, whatever it is on your platform of choice, wherever you listen or watch this, comments also go a very long way. We have over 160 comments now and reviews on iTunes, which is incredible. Thank you to those of you who have left a thoughtful comment on there. We hear from people almost every day that found the show because they saw a review or a comment or something that spoke to them and brought them in. So thank you for that. 
And then those of you that are directly supporting via Patreon, our patrons, thank you so much. That is also an option if you want to support the show, whether it's a couple bucks a month or a lot, doesn't matter. We just really appreciate those that directly fund and support as well. So if you're looking to engage with or chat with me, the absolute best way to do that is on Twitch. I stream a couple days a week starting at 1 p.m. Central Time. And I also stream Sunday nights to play a little PUBG. So if you're into that game, you can come hang out then as well. But that is at MTB, Zen Boy, Trigger. I heard from somebody that thought it was MTV Trigger and they were looking for the wrong person and they may have found somebody. I don't know. But it's MTB Trigger. Uh, but I also hang out in Discord all the time and you can catch me on Twitter as well at the same handle. So, Ronald, how are you, man? How's your week? How's it going? And uh, let these folks know how they can find you as well. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm doing fantastic. Much better this week than last week. And surprise, for all of you who thought that I was going to quit the game and uninstall after last week's episode, not only have I not quit the game, but we had a fantastic week overcoming some things, and I'm excited to talk about it tonight with everybody. Before we get into all that, the best way to get a hold of me is always in Discord. I'm at the top of the list next to MTB. Go ahead, send me a DM in Discord. I'm talking to people every day. It's really great as our community continues to grow. Also, you can follow me on the Twitters, at Ronald Gaming. And outside of the show, if you'd like to get a hold of us with something that you don't want to send through Discord, you can email the show at xpmedia2020 at gmail.com. This week, I'd like to talk specifically about YouTube, our XP Media Now YouTube channel. We have a lot going on there, and if you're an audio-only subscriber to the show thank you for listening on the platform of your choice but we encourage you to check out the talk show version of this show where you can actually see mtb and i record the show there's also guides up on the youtube channel related to tarkov how to play tarkov how to do different things in tarkov i've got a guide on how to maximize your fps your frames per second on your computer it's a config guide that's pretty thorough it's helped a lot of people so i encourage you to check it out if you're having any kind of issues with low frames on your computer we're going to be continuing to put more things up on youtube as time goes forward i've got a couple more pc guides that are kind of in the works based on feedback from the guide that we wrote about video settings so we're pretty excited to expand the content to help everybody as much as we can with our YouTube channel at this point. Awesome, man. Well, I actually got some feedback today from someone that I play with a lot, and they're very tech savvy. And they went through and watched the YouTube video that you put out there. And they came back with the comment like, it's a major improvement, especially on spotting enemies. And they were specifically saying that they were getting used to the new graphics settings because they were playing on higher resolutions than maybe they needed to be for maximum FPS. And so there was a little bit of a getting used to it. But the number one thing they said was that they're spotting enemies easier. So I wanted to give you that feedback, but anybody that's wondering why you would go do this, the increased frames, the right texture settings have led to people just being able to see better in the game because of whether it's a smoothness thing, whether it's more frames per second, so they're catching people before they go behind cover. I don't know, but the feeling is that this is working really well. So great job on that video. And I got that feedback live on stream today. So that's great. Give it to you here. That's great. That's why we made the video in the first place. Think of it like your computer is a bunch of building blocks. You have to make sure you take care of the Windows side of your computer plus the in-game settings. And so anyways, we cover all of that there and we're pretty excited to share more of that kind of content. And all that's on YouTube. 
Go ahead and check out the YouTube channel at youtube.com slash xpmedianow. It helps share the show with as many people as possible and grows our community and just keeps more people coming in every day. So beyond that, let's uh, talk about our weeks in Tarkov. How are you this week, MTB? <laughs> I was going to flip it back to you because you didn't uninstall. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I'm serious though. Like, what I think one of the challenges is before we jump into this, like, we've had a really good time talking about the last episode. And it's not that we enjoy the like people thinking it was negative or whatever. But one of the things I do want to say as we jump in here is we love this game. It's it's why we were honest about it and we're honest about our struggles. But furthermore, this was like six days in to the wipe. I think everyone was frustrated a little bit trying to figure the game out then. And so, it was six days in, and then we released the episode like five or six days later. So literally everybody had double the amount of time we had at the point of recording. So it's kind of hard, right, to think back to a week when all that went on. But anyway, I'm excited to, to jump back in, and we won't spend a ton of time on it. But I do want to know, like, how was your week? It sounds like you're excited to talk about it. So how was it? Oh, my week was fantastic. And I think that one of the big things that came out of last week was this impression that I was giving up on the game or I was unwilling to try, you know, as hard as I needed to to win at the game or any kind of just negative sentiment. And I want to stop that right now because that's not it at all. All of my comments last week on the show came from a place of trying to help bring some understanding to a certain group of players. It's not necessarily that I wanted to be negative on the game or negative on, a, on other players, but I felt as if there was a group of people that were struggling like me that would relate to the types of struggles that I had. And one of the things we talk about on the show is game design and the business of game design and all the things that go into that. So that conversation went to a really interesting place. I think it was good because I think it sparked some really good conversation about different play styles. And I think it's been good for a lot of people to think about it in different ways. So overall, I'm really happy with how that turned out. And I'm thankful for all the feedback that I've gotten. So thank you to everyone who sent me DMs. I've gotten a lot of them in the last week. Uh, it's been really cool to have a bunch of conversations around the game that we all mutually love. So that's that's cool. So getting back to this, I did not uninstall. I hunkered down and I've actually had a great week progressing. I have almost to level 13 push through some early game tasks, push through some trader opening type stuff. And I'm really pushing through uh, some gear issues, the money issues, all that stuff, getting the hideout leveled, just doing all those things that you have to do to get over this hump. And now this week, I'm pretty excited to talk about some things that you can do if you are in a position where you can relate to where I was last week. And I, I really want to help encourage people to get kind of past that point. So. I had a great week getting over what I would call a very frustrating 1 to 10 experience. And now looking back at it, I can kind of reflect and say that I stand by my opinion. I think the game design is broken. I don't think that you should uninstall if you're frustrated. What I think you should do is reach out for help because I think that, in my opinion, bad game design can be overcome with playing with some friends who will help you. And that's one of the things I like about the XFIL community is that we have a lot of people who are willing to help. So if you reach out and if you can do a couple of raids with some friends and get some stuff done, it goes a long way to just getting over that hump. So getting past that hump once you unlock the flea market, it's not like it's a magic bullet to make you instantly successful. But what it does do is it gives you a lot of options 
for getting your hideout going because there are certain things that you really need to get going in your hideout really early on, in my opinion. And that is a lot easier to do if you have access to the flea market. And you don't necessarily have to worry about going to a specific spot where you're not really that good at farming to get a specific item and then end up coming out of that spot or dying a bunch of times. And I think the flea market supplements that. And then it also obviously supplements your currency, your liquid currency with whatever you do bring out and you can either sell or whatever you're going to do with it. And we're going to get into what you can and can't sell coming out of a raid later. So teaser MTB is going to get into that. But my whole point about the early game and getting over that hump is that it is possible, but I do think that after this past week of pushing through, that I really think that the state of the game right now, if you're a mostly solo game player, you're going to have to make some friends and reach out to them to push through those early tasks on customs. Then some of the early stuff that's there, it's just, it really is pretty challenging for the casual gamer, in my opinion. Yeah. It's kind of funny, right? Because last week before we recorded the first week, I actually got a pretty good jump start and was feeling really good. And I think I was pretty far ahead. And then this last week I had my sister's wedding. My son broke his arm. Like It was just this like nightmare of like circumstance for me as a gamer, which is sort of laughable, right? But if, if we're looking through the gamer lens on my week, it was a nightmare because all of my time got messed up and it was sucked up with editing and all, and all these different things. But I started the week out great, you know, and, and I was like flying through the early 20s and I had a couple of really good raid streaks. I was owning in factory and then I was digging into some of the like, I guess I would call them second tier tasks, like farming part one and two, where you have to start finding a lot of these items in raids. And then I just started getting owned. Like my survival rate went from like 79, 80%. It's now down to like 49, you know, because it's it's an interesting dynamic, right? And it's it's been so cool to see. And, and I actually love this. I love the challenge and figuring out how to get through it. So I've actually had a really fun week struggling, if that makes sense. It's been really fun because I got stuck on some of these tasks and I had to rethink how I did some of that stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know whether to be afraid or look forward to it, but my survival rate has actually gone up this week. So it's it's around 31% now, up from 26%. I think it's different playstyle for me. I'm starting to do pistol running at night to get tasks done. That has been pretty successful. So I don't know. Kind of interesting. I think when I get into those specific things where the tasks force you into a specific area to get something, I imagine that is going to drop my survival rate again. But, you know, then you have friends to play with, right? Is that kind of how you get through some of that? (laughs) Interestingly, (laughs) I would say no. I've played with people more and more, right? And I'm a, I'm kind of a solo player in Tarkov and, I, and I'll squat up from time to time, but I struggle in Tarkov and it, and it boils down to a few things for me. I know the maps really well and I'm pretty good at PvP, so I do struggle with communicating though. My comms aren't particularly good in Tarkov because I don't squat up a whole lot. And like I was on Interchange today and we were at the power station and the guy I was playing with, J-Mac, was in the power station, and I was flanking around it. And he's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm by the pipe. <laughs> and it, like, it was horrible. And I, I had this total like mental block moment of, 
I know where I'm at. I know where the enemy's at. I know where JMAC is, but he doesn't know where I'm at. So I have to figure this out. So I ran back and gave up my positional advantage so that I could tell him where I was. And I was like, I'm back at the truck that we marked. And then I went and did the same rotation that I did. There was other unfortunate things that happened there. You know, yeah, I'm not going to go into that because it's not super important. And I'm not going to focus on the cheaters in this game right now because Battlestate's done a good job of working on them. So anyway, I fail at comms, so I struggle with that. But when I play in groups, I actually die more often. And it's because I'm a very sound-based player. You know, over the years of playing Counter-Strike and PUBG, I use sound to my advantage probably more than any other input that I get from the game. And so when you add in a teammate's footsteps, guns, whatever it is, I start to really struggle because... I can't use the audio cues of all the people around me. So part of the reason is I've been playing with more people trying to help, trying to get some of the tasks done myself. And in particular, it was the um, interchange cargo manifests that I was struggling with that got me to group up because you have to get them from each of the big three stores. And right now I'm finding that you run into people all over the map because everything is useful. Yeah, that's really interesting because I would say my largest challenge with grouping up with people is actually keeping up with them. Most of the people that I play with play so much faster than I do. And you know, it's funny you mentioned playing sound. I also have learned how to play sound. And I think that's just a product of playing solo a lot. You just learn what everything sounds like. And when you play with a group of people, usually someone tries to take the lead. Or if you're playing with four people, all four people try to take the lead. And then you all run off in different directions, right? Or you try to squat up or whatever. So I think duos is probably the best optimal group up in Tarkov. But even then, if you're not playing with someone who you really know well or have played a lot with, I think it's really challenging. And I think that there's definitely definitely something to it. If you get a good player that you can play with on a consistent basis, you start to get a groove that is really, really useful and kind of rare. I would say that There's some benefits for tasking that are sort of intangible. Like if everyone's on the same task and one person dies, well, if they're able to finish the fight with whether it was a scav or another group of PMCs or whatever, they can take the items off of that person. And if they're on the same task or similar tasks, those items are still useful. And one of the things that happened today is we were doing these cargo manifests and we came out of one of the back halls. JMAC could finish the task. And I was trying to complete it. And I had two of the cargo manifests and we were working towards the third one. And we come out this hallway and there's two guys there. And he drops the first one. I throw a grenade, not sure if it hits or kills the second one. And he goes, I'm going to go fight this guy. You go back around the other way. And I said, if we go 2v1, we can kill this guy easily. And he goes, it's not worth it. Let me try to finish the fight and I'll join up with you. He went out and actually got killed by this guy while I was able to flank completely around, get my manifest, and get out. You know, so there's some really cool dynamics to group play when it comes to tasking. Now, for the find and raid stuff, it's a little more challenging, because if you're all trying to do flash drives, you know, say you're playing with two other people, and you need two find and raid flash drives apiece, that means you've got to find six. And that's a really challenging thing to do right now. So pluses and minuses across the board. But if you are going to group up and you have clear objectives and everybody's on the same page with those objectives, you can really put into play some powerful strategy to help each other get through those tasks. So that was actually a really cool thing that happened. Yeah, for sure. 
I think that more often you're probably going to have benefit from grouping up at least with duos. I don't know, at least in my experience, playing with four or five other people is usually just chaos in Tarkov. <laughs> and it's not that it's bad, it's fun, but you have to go into it with realistic expectations. Would you say that's fair? I would say I don't really know. I see, yeah, if I'm going to play in a big squad, yeah, you have to have realistic expectations because the communications probably aren't going to be tight. But there's guys that play in Xfil just about, not every night, but close to it. And they're in groups of four or five, and it's the same guys most of the time. Or there's rotating, you know, six or seven guys that rotate in and out of the same squad, and they only play in big squads. And it's highly effective because rarely do they lose stuff because their teammates either moving it to a secure location or they finish fights. And the expectation just changes. Like, if you go in as a four or a five man, they expect to lose one or two people every raid. It's going to happen. And so once you get that in your mind, I think it probably changes. But for someone like me who plays primarily solo, I look at squads as just a big challenge. And it's just not my preferred way to play. So yeah, I, I actually have an easier time kind of to your earlier point of squatting up to get some stuff done. I've had some success doing that, but I've actually had the greatest success in most of the tasks doing them on my own. I'm kind of like back and forth on that. I don't know if I agree or disagree. I think it depends. I do think there are certain tasks, like ones that require you to go all over the map and exfil successfully, that you have an advantage in a party if everybody's on the same page. Yeah, I would say in general, it also can be a lot of fun if you have four or five people on the same page as well. So I, I think it's, I don't think it's bad, I guess is my point. I just think for me personally, I've had more success if I'm doing something specifically task oriented definitely just with uh, one other person. And maybe that's just because I mostly play duos and I don't play a lot of large squads and that definitely part of it. But I think that I'm just used to playing with one other person. So sure. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. I'm not negative on large squads at all. So don't take it like that. It's just my experience. Yeah. So you kind of brought up the success of getting some tasks done and you mentioned earlier that you wanted to talk about some specifics on how you got through some of the early game stuff. And and I've put together some tips and we'll get into that. But, you know, we talked a lot about the flea market and the game design and stuff like that. But were there some like specific struggles you were having, whether it was with a certain task, system, trader or whatever? And, and like, how did you get through that? I think the biggest struggle is just the XP wall. It was hard for me. So I'm going to I'm going to be careful how I say this and be totally transparent about it, right? I'm talking about me here. So my experience was that getting that X, that XP wall was pretty high to get to level 10, which is about 60,000 XP total. I had to start changing the way that I played completely. I had to really worry about surviving more than PvP or even just maximizing every bit of XP I could get because I tended to die more when I tried to do that. So I had to be very intentional with how I played. So last wipe, I spent a lot of time in Shoreline. I spent a lot of time scabbing around Shoreline, uh, scabbing as a PMC, which I still think is an extremely valuable thing to do early on. If you're struggling with the concept of being afraid to play as a PMC and scaving all the time, scav as a PMC where you are the most comfortable scaving. That was something that I would say definitely helped. For me this time, that wasn't giving me enough XP. 
So I started to try to mix a number of different things together with varying degrees of success. So the early customs tasks, I definitely, definitely got like the five scav kills on customs earlier. And I died doing that. When I was doing this, keep in mind, there was a lot of people doing this all at the same time. It was some good PvP. There there was a lot of dead scavs because people were trying to kill scavs. So that was one thing that I think was hard because I died a lot doing that. But I tried to mix tasks and early no gear gameplay. Sometimes that's successful, but a lot of times that's just punishing and hard. And so that gets frustrating because you die a lot and it becomes like, how do I overcome this? So what I ended up really doing was pistol running a lot. Once I got past the initial customs task and then the Salubio task for therapist, where then I could actually start to get in my hideout and build them for myself. One of the big problems I had early on was that heals. You you can get through as many cheeses, but you end up buying a lot of painkillers and cheeses and you're spending lots of money keeping your PMC healed. But the early thing is you got to find enough money to get your generator going and find blue fuel cans and then get your early medical station going so you can make salutas. And once you can get to that point, like I focused on that, that made everything easier because it just kind of was a trickle down effect on everything. But I would say like, I agree with kind of the One Heart's opinion from last week. Like the early tasks in this game are super, super hard. Like the first three or four tasks, because now I'm like maybe 10 to 15 tasks into the game and they're easy. I blew through a couple today and they're much easier, I should say. In the you speak more specifically, they're much easier, you know, now, which I think is really odd, you know, and that's why it goes back to that one to 10. But specifically getting over that that hump I would say pistol running helped a lot, not worrying about wearing armor, not worrying about tack rigs, going in with a pistol, seeing what I could come out with, especially as I got broke, and seeing about how many tasks I could do at night. So I actually transitioned to doing all of my stuff at night. I scabbed during the day, waited till the timer got to at night, and I basically pistol run and completed tasks at night to get from level 7 to level 10. That's awesome. I mean... I guess there's a couple things there that really jump out to me, right? Is that you were at a point where you're like, okay, the way I'm playing is not <laughs> it's not working right now. And it's not that it wasn't working. I mean, I knew you had a ton of stuff like ready for the flea market, right? That was the target. And then it was like, but wait a minute, like I have to get XP to get to this point. And it's sort of funny to me that you went from doing like scab as PMC on shoreline to okay, you know what? I'm going to pistol run and focus on XP. And if stuff comes to me during that, that's awesome. But it wasn't the main focus. So like, I guess talk about that. Like, what was the biggest difference for you going from a scav as PMC on a map you're super familiar with to pistol running? Were there challenges in that? Because doing that for three levels is a long time. Yeah. So I'll give a specific example of one that was kind of difficult, but made easier by doing it this way. There is a task where you have to find, and I don't remember the exact name of it, but you have to find the the item that's in the truck in customs, the truck cab. So you got you to find the key, right? You got to get the key first, and then you got to get in the truck, and you have to survive in Xville. The raid where I ended up doing that successfully, I actually spawned on the opposite side of the map, made my way to the truck, and then made my way back to where I had to Xville. And it was all at night. I tried it twice during the day. And what I found was that 
I was dying a lot. So I lost armor and I lost a bag and lost tack rigs during the day and I lost an AK. So I just switched to a pistol with no armor, no tack rig, nothing. And I just snuck around the map and did it at night. And the first time I tried it at night, it worked. Because the scavs, even if they hear you, go hide in a bush and they, they'll come after you to a certain point, but then they, they can't see you because it's nighttime. So you can pistol a scav and then now you have a gun and now you have whatever the scav had. On that successful run, I killed seven scavs because I killed the first two that I killed, I got armor, I got a gun. Is kind of like a, a zero to hero type situation. However, the focus was not killing scavs. I only killed scavs because I had to. I didn't go in searching for PvP. I went in specifically trying to avoid it with the intention of completing the task. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't care about how much XP I got. Didn't care about where I ended up. None of that mattered. My goal was to get that thing out of the truck and get out. And along the way, I had circumstance kind of happen. But I, I think that where I was getting hung up on before was I need to get as much as I can. So I need to maximize every minute of the raid. If you let go of that mentality, sometimes I had run-throughs, but I got what I needed. I think that that, is, that really helped me a lot. And I know that a lot of people know that, and that's kind of an obvious thing. But when you get super hyper-focused on getting XP to push over this hump to catch your friends, you know, I mean, you want to play with your friends, you want to keep up with everybody, all that stuff. And let's be honest, that's a real thing in any game. You can kind of lose sight of the simple things. And I really just took this back to the basics. And I know that pistol running is kind of a controversial topic it's for another show, but I think it's a tool that's in the Tarkov toolbox that can get you through a tough time because it doesn't require you to have a lot of money or a lot of gear. Well, the funny part to me is when you're saying pistol running in that context, I don't think it's anything close to what the actual pistol running definition that is commonly associated with running in, grabbing loot, and leaving. The only difference between hatchet running and pistol running is people were putting pistols on so that, you know, the scavs weren't running them down because they were a hatchling. In this context, you're almost doing more of a zero to hero run. And if you weren't able to kill a scav and get their weapons or anything like that, what I heard you saying is that you weren't scared to exfil, restart, take whatever little bit you got out and do it again. So... I don't know, man. I, I actually think what you were doing was basically zero to hero runs, which is a very different concept than scaving, right? And trying to like maximize the amount of loot and getting out with that loot. What you were trying to do was put yourself in a situation where you could take some gear, use that to kill and get very specific items for your hideout and stuff out. So it's, it's actually really different. I would look at it as more of a zero to hero situation. Yeah, the whole point was that I didn't have any money. And I didn't have a lot of gear and I didn't have a lot of playtime. So you're in this situation that is kind of bad, right? You know, you don't have enough inputs into the problem, if you want to think of it like that. So I had to completely pivot how I was playing and just adapt. And the only way that I could really do that was to say, it's time to just put a pistol on, sneak around. And if I sneak around for a half hour and I have to wait 10 minutes in a bush in order to get across the street to exfil, while everybody else exfils, I can see people, but I know that this pistol is not going to kill them because they're wearing armor and I don't have any armor. I just got to let them go. And that happened more than once on customs, right? I, I was watching people exfil and I just had to wait, but I got my tasks done. I got that XP. I pushed over the hump and then I sold everything I had saved up in my stash for almost 2 million rubles. <laughs> 
That's awesome. I see you had the carrot on top of all the hard work of getting there. Uh, it's pretty crazy, actually. Well, and there's another piece of it that just like sort of I, I love about it, right? But when you were pistol running on your killing guys, like were there certain guns that you were after? Because I really wanted to talk about early guns and which ones are efficient, which ones aren't efficient, even if you find them. Were there guns that you were after when you were scaving? I think that the position that I'm still in is whatever I get, I'm going to use. There are things that are more desirable than others, but I don't think that, at least for me, I'm a ways off from being very gun snobbish. So there are certain guns that I prefer over others, I would say. I mean, I would say that right now, my favorite gun in the game is probably an SKS or an ADAR right now. If I can find one of those and throw a a red dot on an SKS is probably my favorite setup right now. I try to use that as much as I can. But if I can't, any AK that I can find is fine. You know, AKs are good. Uh, there's also the Chav gun, the SA-58, right? Which is the one that scavs spawn with all this different kind of gear. And it's mediocre, mediocre. And then you get the SA-58 with four clips full of M80 and you just go to the x and sell it. I mean, let's be honest, everyone's doing that right now. Oh, I don't. <laughs> when I get a chav, which is a term that I just learned today. Again, we always learn these new terms and I love it. But I spawned in with an SVDS and a class four tack rig. And I was like, this is a chad scav. And someone in chat said chav. <laughs> and no way, no way was I running to the x with that. Like I was going to go bully somebody <laughs> with, with my SVDS and my class four armor. And the funny part is we ended up going into like, I think we went into interchange and did a scav run and just didn't find anybody and ended up finding all of this good tech loot. <laughs> so it didn't, I didn't even end up getting to shoot at anybody yet. But if you ever have a scav that you're looking at on your loading screen and you're like, this guy is here to kill. You know, if my scav had had a headset on, 100% chance I'm taking him to factory to try to dominate some PMCs. If I had a headset and SVDS and class four armor, there's no question where I'm going. I do want to spend some time on these early guns because I think there's some really good things to note early. And when I say early, like I'm still doing this. I don't look at this as like, you know, up till level 10. You know, I'm level 25, almost 26 now. And I'm still generally following this rule of thumb for getting my guns because I've lost a tremendous amount, right? My survival rate's like 50%. So half the time I'm losing my crap. And right now in the wipe, you're not getting the gun back. You may get some of the armor and the helms and that kind of stuff back, but most people are taking the guns. So I kind of wanted to take a minute to break down at least what I believe are the most efficient, the ones that are not, and the guns that are not efficient, even if you find them early. And so you mentioned a couple, and that's why I wanted to bring this up now. So the ADAR the SKS, AKs, and the Vepr. I find these to be probably the most efficient guns early on. And when I'm saying efficient, I'm talking about killing power for investment in them. And each one of these has specific things that I believe in. And I've kind of got a controversial one that I would add to it. And the last one I would add to it is the Mosin. And it, with that one, the reason I say that one's controversial is because if you're not comfortable with a bolt-action gun, the Mosin isn't going to feel good. However, if you are relatively accurate with the bolt action within two shots, you really have two shots with the Mosin in close or medium quarters to hit a shot. 
which changes the way of the fight. But if you can hit a shot with the Mosin, it's one of the most, if not the most, effective and efficient guns early on, because a lot of the ammo you get with it early will one-tap people, even now in Class 4. But I wanted to go through each one of these. So, a couple of things. I find the single-fire weapons to be the most efficient. So the ADAR and the SKS and the Vepr. Really, really efficient guns because you're not blowing through ammo. What's more important is on the ADAR, if you pick that up off a of scav, it usually comes with a mag in it and one, if not two mags of 855, which is 29 penetration, 49 damage. It's a great round. And almost every time you pick up an ADAR, it will come with 855, which is also something you can unlock relatively early as well. But if you're playing factory or really anywhere and you see an ADAR on a scav, pick it up, take the mags off them, pull them off the gun, bring them out. Yeah, I have to completely agree with that because ADARs are great, great early game guns. It's a one-shot, one-kill situation for scavs usually, and they're fairly accurate. And so when you're running around factory, is a great place to use an ADAR. There's a couple of good farming spots on factory that we've talked about on previous shows, and I'm sitting here thinking we probably should go over some of that again at a later show just because of how relevant it kind of is for right now. But farming on factory is great XP. If you have an ADAR, it's a great gun, and it comes up, in, at least in my scav rotation, fairly often. Yeah, it, it really does show up a lot. And I think the more important factor about the ADAR is that it doesn't have nearly as much kick as the guns we're going to talk about, because there's always situations where you need to either rapidly tap or shoot faster or if someone scares you in close quarters combat or whatever, but the ADAR is going to remain in its stock state, a very good gun, and also very stable if you have to shoot it really quick. Whereas the guns like the SKS or the Vepr, if you start rapid tapping those, you're going to be shooting the ceiling in no time. Now, they're really good just because of the ammo that comes on them, and the SKS and the Vepr, those are 7.62 by 3.9. The Vepr also has a 3.66 version, which is okay. It's not as good, in my opinion, as the 7.6239 one. So if you see a Vepr on a scav and it's the 7.6239, I generally, if I'm not going to take the Vepr, I'll usually try, but I'll always take the mags and the ammo because PS ammo is some of the most plentiful and best ammo in the early game. It's 32 penetration, 57 damage. But the other thing is, the other ammo that you normally find on 7.6239 guns is the T45. And I've seen people like scoff at this ammo, but it's 30 penetration, 62 damage. It's really close to PS ammo. And if you compare that back to the ADAR, you know, the 5.56 by 4.5, the ADAR is 29 penetration, 49 damage. So the T49 is better on both accounts. So I, I don't sleep on the T45 ammo if you get it. At least don't think negatively about it because it's better than on a per round basis than what you're getting on the ADAR. And I think the 855 on the ADAR is phenomenal. And it's cheap. It's really, really cheap. If you're really struggling with currency, T45 is really cheap, whether you're going to buy it from the trader or you're going to buy it on the flea market. Either way, it's super cheap. So it's, it's a great point not to just discard it. Yeah. And, and really, that's, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? Cheap ammo in the beginning you know, if you get set on some of these non-efficient guns, and I think it's a good time to bring them up, but things that you'll find on scavs or you'll scav in with yourself, the SVDS, the Hunter, the SA-58, the VSS, 
all extremely good guns, but early on they're not very efficient because they're either using M80 or like in the case of the VSS, it's going to be using SP5 or SP6 that it comes with. But if you're not level 15 with Prapper and have him at level 2, you're not going to have access to SP5, which is a pretty cheap ammo, but people are selling it for really expensive. So while I can feel really good to use a VSS, you may not be able to re-kit it at an efficient level to go back into raids. Now, there's always that argument, well, the VSS, you know, people love the Val and the VSS, and there's the argument that, well, if you take in good ammo, you may survive more often, and that's just a choice you're going to have to make. You know, Ronald mentioned the SA-58 and how if you get one of those and you got four mags full, you're going to go immediately to the Xfil because M80s are still selling for like seven to 800 rubles around. Great strategy for making money. But again, if you're deciding to use the SA-58 as a gun early on, you're going to spend so much money on ammo, which again, if you're killing people, it's really good because again, M80 can one-tap Thorax on a class four armor. So it can be really good. But those guns. Again, they're sort of not as efficient just because of the price of the ammo, but as you start to level up your traders, they become more and more efficient. And the first one to become efficient is the VSS. You know, so that's one of the, if you get your hands on it, I highly recommend keeping it if you can, because at level 15, you get the SP5 from Prapper. And a lot of these guns, like the SKS, the VSS, you know, you can use the dovetail scopes. And that's something I really wanted to get into was looting. You know, you've got the PKO-6 scope that sells for like 40,000 right now, but is often found on shotguns and other scav loot. But the dovetail mount is the one that's underrated for me. You'll find it a lot on scavs, and it's already down to like 13 to 15k, which is a very reasonable price for a scope that doesn't require a mount. You know, so if you get a VSS that doesn't have a scope on it, you can go spend 15k on a dovetail and put it right on the VSS. And now you have a scoped, fully auto gun that can shred class 5 armor, right? So from that standpoint, it's really efficient. You just may not be able to carry as much ammo. And the SKS is the other one that you can usually throw a scope right on it. If it's the OP version of the SKS, the OP SKS, like Ronald said, you can slap a red dot on there, and it's not going to take you much to put on it. Um, and that's again, that's the benefit of the ADAR as well. You can slap scopes right on it. Uh, the Mosin, not so much early on. A lot of the AKs, if you don't have the right dust cover or it didn't already come with one of the dovetail-like scopes, you may have to spend a little more to mod it up. So again, these are all things to play with. You know, so I, I guess I would flip that around to you. Like, have you spent any time like modding these guns early on? Like, which one have you had the most success with modding out? I honestly, this is going to maybe be a little odd, but I don't think at the early stages of the game, you should really worry about modding much. I don't think it really matters for a while. If you do understand it, and your knowledge is pretty tight on all the different guns and what the different availability for mods are, I think it's a great thing to do if you have the extra currency to do it. I do not think it is at all necessary to be successful. So I think that there's definitely value to it, but I don't think that that little bit of extra mod that you get, it really makes that much of a difference. And I've tried it kind of both ways. And I don't know, what about you? Have you spent time modding? <laughs> I asked you first because this has actually been probably my biggest struggle point. I think I was addicted to the preset and modding system at the end of Last Wipe. 
And what that led to was I really never dug into what the traders offer when. And this has been probably the biggest realization that I've had is that I really don't understand all the trades. I really don't understand which trader offers which weapon parts. And so I agree with you in general that I wouldn't spend a lot of time modding guns early on because you're going to die, you're going to lose it, and it's not going to be a meta gun. What I will say is I have found a tremendous amount of success and comfort in learning how to take those efficient guns that we talked about, the 8R, the SKS, the AKs, the Vepr, and learning how to get a scope on them. You know, And a lot of times that means you have to learn to either get the right dust cover on or you have to learn to get the right you know, sight. Like on the Vepr, for example, you have to replace the rear sight and you then put the, I think it's the T-1000 or I don't know which one it is. But you, you put that on there and that allows you to put a red dot on. You know, so for me, that's actually been really important. And it's taught me more about the modding part of this game where I'm not going to the preset screen all the time. I just know that if I get a Vepr, you know, that I have to go in and rather than go to my preset, load it up or whatever, I know that I need the B10 handguard and I can throw a foregrip on it. And then I know that if I remove the rear sight, that I can throw on the, um, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, it's it's just the um, it's just the standard rear sight. And then on top of that, you can throw, it's not the T-1000, it's the TT-01. And once you have that on there, you can put any sight you want on it in the red dot form, right? And this is something that's unlocked early in the game. And for me, I don't know about you, man, I suck at iron sights. Like, I'm really bad at iron sights. For me, figuring out how to get scopes on all these guns was critical. And so the time that I did spend in the modding screen, and I actually think this is super challenging. It's one of the things that I wish they would change. I wish there was a way... I'll back up a second. I love that they let you keep your presets from the last wipe. I think that was a good move. What I don't like is there's not a filter to remove the items you don't have from a trader. I think it would be really cool if when you were like going into the drop downs, if you could say available from trader and it would remove all the scopes or all of the mounts or all of the handguards or all of the things that you've examined but aren't readily available. And I think that would be a really cool thing they could add to the game. Because the modding screen is great, but for me to figure out how to mod a Vepr through that, I had to put on a handguard, say buy now, and then go to the flea market and see if a trader sold it or what it was selling for. And if I didn't have access to it from a trader and it was selling for 80,000 rubles, I knew that it was unlocked later. Okay, now I gotta go try the next handguard. Nope, don't have access to that. Oh, it's selling for 10k. Where do I get that? Oh, that one doesn't even matter because it doesn't have the undermount for a foregrip. Like, there was all of this trial and error, but now that I've gotten through that, it's amazing because now I have all of these early game presets, and maybe you've kind of gleaned from this my favorite gun right now, and it's actually the 76239 version of the Vepr because it's very easy to mod and get a red dot on it, and again, it's single fire and can shoot PS rounds, which are extremely powerful right now. No, I think I think you're right about the one mod thing that most people are going to want to do is put a scope on. I think that's pretty common, and I think that probably resonates with everybody. It certainly does with me. That is the one thing that I have done. I would say occasionally. I don't do it all the time. I'm terrible with iron sights as well, but at the same time, it's kind of a situation where I throw a scope only on guns that I'm good with, if that makes sense. 
You know, so I'll throw a scope on an SKS and I'll throw a scope on an ADAR, but I probably wouldn't put a scope on anything else because I'm just not comfortable enough to spend the time or the currency to do that with. That doesn't mean that the guns are better. It's just where I'm at with my gunplay. But I think that even though I can do that now, it's still, I'm just starting to do that like today, right? I, I mean, from one to 10, that was not an option because you just, you can't invest that much into a gun and then lose it. It's just not practical. So you are using literally whatever the game gives you. And so I'm not sure how much modding really plays into the early game. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. And I didn't mod much of anything early on. And for me, the progression of it, and I guess what I would recommend to somebody that's working through this would be, number one, try to use the guns that you can slap scopes on that you find on scavs or on other guns or whatever. You know, and if you find a scope on a gun you don't like, but you know in your stash you have one you do, great. Throw that thing in your gamma so that you can make a gun better for you. And then start messing with the other things. Like, yeah, the foregrip and the handguard. I think Battlestate did a really good job of adding a bunch of stuff in early, you know? And there, there is one I do want to talk about. The low-profile gas block on the ADAR that is now from Peacekeeper. And this item, if you're familiar with the ADAR, right, it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most efficient early game guns because of how easy it is to get a scope on it, number one. But two, it's just, there's the stock version has the front sight that is just brutal. <laughs> it's, it's really, really hard to use. So Peacekeeper, they added in the low profile gas block to level two Peacekeeper. So if there's, a, if there's something that you're targeting, getting Peacekeeper to level two is really nice because of this gas block, because it takes that gun from being sort of challenging to see through the iron sights to just a $47 from a trader purchase completely changes the ADAR, right? And now anytime I get one, the first thing I do is just replace that gas block and get that stupid post off the front of it with the low profile one. And it's a huge, huge difference. So yeah, I, I agree with your point just to wrap that up. I agree with you. I don't think modding is an early game thing. Um, you obviously can't do it till you get your workbench, but I, I just don't think you need to focus too much on it. But for me, it was all about getting the sights, getting the scopes on there. Yeah, I definitely think you want to push towards getting scopes because it just makes everything more accurate. And in general, you're going to want that, even though we really don't have a lot of long range weapons at this point. We've got the Mosin. If you can get a Mosin with a scope on it, you can do some damage. A lot of the other guns, thankfully, if you don't have availability of scopes right now, they're still pretty effective. No doubt. I mean, anything else on the modding or the guns that you wanted to talk about? I mean, I wanted to give people some targets for, you know, guns that were really effective for me. And, and maybe you have one out there that is uh, one we didn't talk about. Um, you know, to be completely honest with you, you didn't hear us talk about the MP5, the PP19 and, and all of that. And my definition of efficiency is ability to kill other players while not breaking the bank. And some of those guns are just they either need a suppressor or you have to be really good at shooting people's limbs. It, it just requires, for me, too much of a difference in play style, but they can be really effective for killing scavs. So if you're like, no, I love the MP5 MTB, you're an idiot, that's fine. If it's working for you, go for it. The most efficient gun is the one that you can kill with, but these are the ones that I like and, and Ronald and I happen to be on a similar um, thought process as it comes to these guns. 
Yeah, there's definitely some guns I don't like. Uh, I always joke that the Ketter gets you deader. Because <laughs> whenever you pick that up on a scav, it's just that it's an ammo thing, right? So the ammo that you get, you can sit there on full auto and shoot at a scav and they're just bullet sponges and then they shoot you with a shotgun once and you're dead. So there's a lot of guns out there that they need to be modded to be useful. And I think that in the early game of Tarkov, you really have to stick to a couple different ones that are effective without a lot of mod. And so, you know, like like you said, like a Saiga or the Ketter or whatever. I, there is one class of gun that I think we're kind of, we still need to talk about because it is very important. That's just the pistol. There's different types of pistols. I see you shaking your head. <laughs> and for those of you listening to the audio, you got to watch the video on youtube.com slash XP Media now to get the full experience of Trigger not liking the pistol. I, I think pistols are a very overlooked class of gun, and I think you could do some interesting damage with them. I'm doing it right now, and it's been very effective for me. So is it my first choice? No, but it is a choice. It's, it's a tool in the Tarkov toolbox to get things done. So that's kind of how I feel about that. The pistol, for me, it comes down to one simple thing. I suck at using pistols in Tarkov. And the only time I use them is later on when I can put a scope on them. If I can put a dot sight on the pistol, I'm good to go. You know, so once I can use FNs with a PK-06 or whatever the sight is you put on the DP, or I can't even remember at this point, uh, or maybe it's the MRS. I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> For me, I do not like iron sight pistols. I can make them work on scavs, kind of, but I just, for me, again, as someone who seeks out PvP, I just, every time I have a pistol, I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And <laughs> that probably gets me killed playing and thinking that way, but I'm just not good at them, so I avoid them. It's pretty funny that the only pistol you use is a chistol. 100%. <laughs> it's exactly. Chad pistol, you got it. All day. I, I, I think I think they, they have a place in the game. And I really think that their place in the game is for not necessarily someone who seeks out PvP. I would not seek out PvP with a pistol. I think a pistol is more of a defensive tool to get another objective done. And so that's kind of how I see pistols. I don't want to discount them completely because they are a very valid piece of the early game. So don't feel bad about using pistols if you need to. Only advice with pistols that I would say is go look at the ammo chart because the ammo the pistols use is very different than the ammos that the rifles are using. And you want to make sure that you're using ammo that's getting the kind of desired result. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're going to use a pistol in factory, you know, you might want to use uh, one that has some good armor pen. If you're going to use a pistol, I don't know, on customs or reserve or in shoreline if it's just purely defensive maybe you want a more balanced ammo you know at that point there's different situations for each and just make sure you understand the ammo that's the big thing with the pistols yeah absolutely um good time to plug the ammo chart if you're not familiar with an ammo chart it's saved me right now because i know the top two or three tiers of ammo and i can tell you last wipe i would have not looked twice at the t45 ammo that i talked about earlier and i would have told you it's trash truth is it's not trash it's really close to ps ammo and you get a lot of it and frankly it's better than a lot of the 
Again, for me, if I find a Keter or a PP-19 or, or PPSH, and then I have the option to pick up a, a Vepper that has T-45 in it or PS, like I'm switching all day because I know that if I, you know, hit a nice headshot or a couple to the upper chest, I'm going to take them down versus having to spray a whole clip. So I, yeah, really good point. I guess the only other point that I wanted to bring up and the, and the last one for me, I guess from a tip wise, and, and I alluded to talking about this earlier, and I credit the one heart with this. I don't know if it was his original thought or he saw it somewhere, uh, but he's got a great write up on it on the blog, which I'll plug again, xpmedianow.com. Go read his blog. It's great. But I do want to talk about his gamma strategy and mindset because it is a complete switch from last wipe. And the scenario that I'll paint, and I'll ask you, Eric, so um, not to try to trick you or whatever, but if you're going into a raid and your two goals are to progress your hideout and to progress your task system, and in one of them, you need a find and raid power cord, and for your hideout, you need a hose, and you go run interchange, and you found a hose, and you found a power cord, and you need one of each and you're worried about an exfil camper or getting killed on the way or whatever, which one of those do you put in your gamma? Well, the rules are different now. So whatever you want to be find and raid, you don't put in your gamma. Right, so, right. So, I mean, that's the simple answer. It doesn't matter what it is. If you need something for a task that has to be find and raid, then you need to survive. That's your, that's your option. If you need something for your hideout, it could in some circumstances, be slightly more lenient. You can put that in your gamma, right? Or if you need something to craft in your hideout, put that in your gamma. But if you need something for for a task, you have to live. I think that is probably one of the biggest changes in the game. You're supposed to answer wrong so that I could look like a hero. (laughs) (laughs) Save me, oh great one. (laughs) Got it. But it's funny because... I heard this last week. I thought about it. I read Kev's blog. Read Kev's blog again, was streaming today, and I am guilty of continuing to use Last Wipe's gamma strategy for myself, meaning if I find a, gosh, I don't even know if I found a circuit board because I had a task to find them in raid, I was throwing that in my gamma because it was important for my task. And in my in my backpack, there's like a GP coin. Well, if I die, the circuit board is useless and the GP coin is lost, but the GP coin would have been useful for trades or selling to therapist, whereas the circuit board is no longer that useful to me. So I've done this 20 times where I get out of raid and I look at my gamma and I'm like, well, that was dumb. It's useless. And I keep doing it. So it again, Ronald answered correctly. I still do this wrong. And I've done it wrong today, twice, and really hurt my progression in my hideout specifically because the trades aren't what I'm focused on. I'm focused on hideout. And I have left hideout specific items in my bags and I've left find and raid items in my gamma and then I die and they're useless to me at that point. I actually did this wrong today too, specifically when I found a key card because my instinct was throw that in the gamma. Do I want to be losing that? And I didn't even think about it. Like it never even occurred to me. So I went all about my way. I lived and I'm emptying all my stuff, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go throw this up in the flea market. Nope, not throwing that in the flea market. You're selling that to therapist for 75K instead of getting, you know, whatever the current price is on the flea market. And I think it's just a natural thing because we did so much of it last wipe. This was basically the strategy when it came to getting stuff out 
I'm not sure if this is going to stick, but for right now, it definitely is a large adjustment to the way we're playing. And I I know I'm struggling with just remembering it as well. It's just so different. It is. And, you know, as you just said the key card, I just had this sort of like aha moment of thinking back to when people were talking about locking the secured container so that you could only bring in to raid what you had from your stash so that if you kill someone, you always have a chance to find some good loot. And I just realized that you're right. You know, most people for labs key cards, a lot of people don't run labs. So they're purely a monetary device, a currency device. So they sell them. Well, if you don't find them in raid, they're useless to you, which means if you kill a player, you have a higher chance now to find good loot, meaning find in raid good stuff to sell or to use, which is really interesting. And I didn't, I never even thought about that in all of the find in raid changes we talked about is this gamma situation. I never realized that people are going to be running around with higher tier quality, more task-related loot in their bags instead of their gamma. I never That never occurred to me until just this moment. Yeah, and one of the byproducts of that, again, I'll get back to one of my original points about this whole system, is it's going to breed scarcity for some of these things, which is just going to make everything quite a bit more expensive at endgame, right? Because you have to survive with that key card in your bag, not your gamma, to sell it for it to well, be found. If right. it's in your gamma, you can sell it if you get out, but you may be sacrificing another item that you could have used had you died. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting because it increases the loot value, right, of the people that you're going to kill. So you have the potential of getting all kinds of valuable stuff that's not in someone's gamma, whereas last wipe, you know, that's all going to be off limits. So it's a, just a different dynamic. Yeah, because I, I don't remember a single time where I killed a player and found a key card because they were they would have been gammaed. Per slot, it was one of the best items to find. So you would put that in your gamma. So now there's a reasonable chance that you kill people, kill other players, doesn't matter what level they are, and you find a key card. Now, the people that like to run labs, they probably throw the labs card in their gamma because they're going to use it anyway. But I just think it increases the chance of finding higher tier stuff on other players, which is interesting. I never really... I just never, conceptually, I just never really thought about that, which is a very interesting other side of the coin to all of this find and raids changes. It's going to be really cool to see what the pricing ends up being on the super rare stuff, like the red key card, you know, you know, last wipe, if it was 50 million, it might get pushed quite a bit higher, basically to just the threshold of how much money is in the game at the time, because of how ultra rare it's going to be, right? Yeah. And I, I actually like the scarcity side. You know, you're right. I agree. It's going to create a scarcity thing. But it's things like right now you're seeing it on saline solution. You know, if you find a saline in raid, gamma, baby. Or see, and again, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But you need it for your hideout. So yes, gamma. I was right. <laughs> but you need four saline to upgrade. I think it's your either your med station or your rest area or something. But you need four of them, I think. And they're like 100K on the flea market right now because they're harder to find. And... It's just super interesting. It is a scarcity-based based system. And I find that intriguing because it's easier for me to conceptualize the value of that item that I just found. Like, ooh, I don't see these very often. It's probably worth a lot or I know it's a lot because I had to buy it before or something like that. You know, it's things like folders with intelligence, flash drives, which flash drives aren't worth that much when you sell them on the flea market because they're really only needed as found in raid. You know, so you you really do have to pay attention to what's needed and where, because it is 
changing the market. The market is wildly different than it was last wipe. I do like it, though, how everything has some value. You you don't see people throwing away things or leaving things behind like you used to. Some of the loot runs that I do on a fairly consistent basis pre-wipe, so last wipe, would have things left there that now they're not being left. It's just interesting to me. I think more people are taking everything just to see what happens. You know, I think that's good for the game. Everything having some value at some point, I think, really makes the tons and tons of different items that are in the game uh, more interesting instead of having just a very small subset of stuff have any kind of value at all. So I will say, with all the concern that I had about the scarcity of things, that is one thing that I do think is at least made it more interesting. It's harder, but it's more interesting. Totally. Um, You know, I just typed to you that I didn't have a final tip, and I do. (laughs) The last thing I want to say before we get out of here is, I wrote down in my notes, flashbangs and grenades, and I wanted to talk about this for a second. And it's really twofold. In the beginning of this wipe, strength is going to be important to you. And they reduce the requirement in the hideout for strength. You only need it to be level two now, which still is going to take some focus. The best way to do this over time is to throw grenades, flashbangs, regular grenades, smoke grenades, whatever they are. And the reason I'm talking about this as kind of a tip for this wipe is, I'm going to say it this way, use grenades, don't ever die with them on your PMC. And my tip with them is don't wait to use them in the perfect scenario. Oh, there's a guy behind that cover and I've got a grenade, I'm going to now throw it. No, don't use them that way. Those moments will happen. You will have a grenade for that to level strength, but also to get better at using utility, and they're called utility for a reason, use grenades to gain information. You know, if you're running up to the office area on factory, throw a grenade in there, whether you think there's someone in there or not. They'll either shuffle, they'll charge you, they'll move, you'll gain information. Use the flashbangs and grenades to gain information. You know, if you're worried that someone's exfil camping the backside of the Embercom exfil on Ollie, throw some grenades back there. They will move, I promise you. Or they'll shift or you'll hear something and you'll gain info. Sometimes you'll kill somebody and you'll hear that moan and you will, you know, joyously fist pump because you know you got somebody. But if you're on factory and you're exfilling, throw a flashbang. The the side benefit to this is you will passively level your strength over the course of the first 20 or 30 levels. And by the time you need this in your hideout, you're not going to have to go chuck 10 flashbangs every raid and waste a bunch of money. So it's kind of twofold, but it also teaches you and trains you to use the utility to gain information. If you die with flashbangs or grenades on your person as a PMC, you probably, if it was close or medium corners, missed an opportunity to gain valuable info by throwing those and seeing what happens and listening for the reaction. So it wasn't really in the flow of the stuff we wanted to talk about, but strength will be important to you. And I think it's a great opportunity to learn how to use that utility. I totally agree. And grenades are something this wipe I've kind of made a focus of. Still not great with them, but I am definitely trying not to die with them. So even if it's like bad nade, (laughs) we're all dead, still throw it. Just get it out of there. Got to get used to using them. And when you do get comfortable with them, your game goes up to a totally different level. So I'm actually looking forward to getting better with grenades myself. Awesome, man. Well, for me, you know, I had a rough week, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the struggle. I'll say this. I 
and I, and I, again, I said it a few times last week, but these changes have played into the way I play the game. And I've been playing a little differently recently, and my survival rate has struggled from it, but my task progression has gone up. The PvP right now, if you're into that, like, it is so good. I've been running into people everywhere on interchange and customs, and the battles are scrappy, and they are weird. <laughs> like, they just happen in the most odd places because... People are scabbing in and they're going to try to find like metal cutting scissors in the back of Goshen and they're crouched, they're waiting. It's just this crazy stuff happens. So I'm enjoying the PvP. Lean in. I just, I'm digging it and I'm dying a lot, way more than I'm used to, but it's uh, it's been really cool to experience this early PvP and now moving into the, the mid game, I guess, the mid or late 20s, you would call it. I'm still enjoying the PvP. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to, you know, before next week, my goal is to try to get to level 30 and unlock all of the uh, loyalty level threes and stuff like that. So I'm excited to continue to unlock uh, modding capabilities for guns because I've started to dig into that a little more. So I'm excited for that. Yep. And I would say if you are struggling in that one to 10 area, like I was for, for a while, first of all, there is hope. As all of the topics that we've had in the last, you know, two shows, there's definitely hope for getting past that that hump. And I will say that as much as Trigger is enjoying the PvP, I will tell you that there are plenty of instances where you do not need to engage in PvP if you're worried about losing your stuff. If you need to get some tasks done, need to get some XP, there are ways to avoid it if you're not ready for it. Or if you feel as if you are not prepared to get into it with a a PvP situation. The way that the game has kind of pushed everything all over the place, there's plenty of ways to play, to sneak around, to get tasks done in a way where you don't have to engage in a lot of PvP if you don't want to. And what I mean by that is it's not that you need to be afraid of it, but you have the ability to do it more on your terms, which I think makes PvP for people who are either struggling with currency or struggling with gear a little bit more palatable. And so there are plenty of opportunities to do that. I encourage you, if you are dead broke, out of gear, out of everything, start pistol running at night. Start sneaking around the map. Use your full time, your half hour, 40 minutes, whatever map you're playing. Use the full time to get your task done to push you through to the next thing. Look for dead scavs that other players have killed. They're going to leave stuff behind that's useless to them, but could be very useful to you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with taking what's left when you see dead players, especially on factory. If you scav in a factory, go hide in the tunnels until there's five minutes left and make your way up to the office. If you have the office exfil, more than likely there's a bunch of dead people in the hallway. Go find some gear, exfil in the office. You know, there's plenty of ways in Tarkov to play the game totally non-traditionally to get the things that you need to progress when you're out of money. And I just want to emphasize that although it's inconvenient and frustrating and really annoying to be in that position, it's not impossible. So there are ways to get over this hump. And I would encourage you, if you really are stuck, go ahead, DM me. Go ahead, DM Trigger. We're here to help. Go ahead, just talk to anybody in the Xville community. We definitely, you know, there's plenty of people who want to play with you who definitely can help you get through it. So there, there's hope. And that's really what I want to leave everybody with this week. Yeah, and I was lonely this week. Everyone was DMing Ronald. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, it was, yeah. No, it's awesome. And, and again, it's, 
our, our focus has always been getting better, but we're not going to shy away from talking about decisions we agree and don't agree on. And you can expect that from us. You can expect us to dig into that stuff. The original episodes of this show, the reason we did it was to get better as ourselves. I mean, you heard some of the most ridiculous stuff that we did in, the, in our early Tarkov journey, and you'll hear more of it. I promise you. We mess up all the time. And you're going to hear that, but our goal is to continue getting better. I want to be great at this game because I like it. And at, at the same time, Ronald and I play very differently. And he can play great in his style. I can play great in mine. And, and you can play great in yours. And we like to hear about it. And I read the general chat in Xville all the time. And I've gained so many little like tips and tricks and ideas just from watching other people talk about things that I would have never got otherwise. I wouldn't have got them on Reddit. I certainly wouldn't have got them on a YouTube video. So it, it's been really cool. So uh, dig into that. Thank you guys for participating in that. But for me, I'm, I'm just like, I want to end so I can go play. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I don't know about you, but I definitely see that green bar flashing on the top of the screen, which means we are seconds away from disappearing. But we want to thank everybody for listening and for watching. And remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the different places, Google Podcast. I try to come up with a weird one every week. Uh, there's plenty of different places to listen to audio podcasts. And if you think that there's only a couple, start an audio podcast. You'll find out that there's many of them. And of course, there's always YouTube.com slash XP Media Now, where you can find all of our video content, which is always in 4K, ready to go. We're pretty excited, too. That's not Tarkov-specific related, but the Winner Winner PUBG podcast is now in video format and hosted on XP Media Now. So if you're into PUBG as your alternate game, go check that out. I highly suggest that MTB hosts that show and does a great job doing it. But that's pretty much it for this week. Again, want to encourage everyone, have a great week. And make sure you don't get too discouraged if you're in my situation. And if you're in trigger situation, don't shoot me. Don't take my stuff. <laughs> I will shoot you. I'm sorry. I will shoot you. I've died too much. I will take your things. I killed a guy in the Xville on railway today who got killa. <laughs> I'm such a jerk. Oh, my gosh. But I don't care. I have a killa armor. <laughs> so scratch that. Have a good time shooting everybody <laughs> and shooting each other. <laughs> and remember, they're just pixels. And if you get as frustrated as I was, it's just because you come from a place of enjoying the game. We all love the game, and I think that's honestly a great thing. So anyways, everybody, have a good week. See you guys. Thanks. See ya.